Hi, this is Brian Landau, and you're listening to The Drip, a podcast about how to caffeinate your campaigns. Today, I'm joined by Seth Ehrenstein. Seth is the editor at PR News. In this episode, we talk about crisis communications. What's the difference between a situation, a problem, and a crisis, and how to best consider the various stakeholders that are impacted by that crisis? This might not surprise you, but I think that audio has the potential to play a critical role in how a business might address a situation, a problem, or a crisis. As you'll hear in a few moments, Seth advocates for owning the problem. Address it with candor. Be solutions-focused. Let's talk for a moment about why podcasts are so effective. For starters, audio is a very, very authentic medium. It's someone's voice, and there isn't a visual bias. The listener will lock into what you're actually saying. So in creating audio, you're addressing the issue from a place of candor. But because there isn't a visual element, and because production on the content is very straightforward, the team in charge of Crisis Comms has a few tricks at their disposal. You can script or lay out notes for the executive that's speaking on the podcast and the listener can't see it. You can do multiple takes to ensure that the key points are hit. You get the benefit of the person's voice and their emotion with the controls that are critical when addressing the problem at hand. Seth mentions that companies frequently aren't that good at addressing their employees during a crisis. The focus is on customers or the markets, brand perception. But your employees are your first audience and frequently your most ardent brand ambassadors. It's good business to communicate with them when a situation arises. But where does a company podcast actually live? How does this critical and fragile piece of company communications live with security and privacy? With Venly, a business can seamlessly embed this content to SharePoint, SocialCourse, and other intranets with full privacy controls. Disable sharing, approve specific domains for the content to be listened on, lock that content down. With Venly, you can also seamlessly share that content to Slack. All you need to do is approve your Slack workspace, and all the members of that workspace will be authorized as listeners. And only those employees will be able to listen to that content. It can't be shared or repurposed. Are you interested in learning more about how audio can play a role in how your business addresses situations, problems, and crises? Email me directly at brian at venly.co. That's brian, B-R-I-A-N, at venly, V-E, nnly.co. And now, the fascinating Seth Arenstein. Hi, Seth. Hi, Brian. How are you? Seth Arenstein is editor of PR News and Crisis Insider. In addition, he writes for prnewsonline.com and moderates PR News's webinars and panels during events. He's been a journalist for more than 30 years. Seth started his career covering the Pentagon and U.S. and Russian space programs. Later, he covered the White House beat for Defense Daily. In addition to his duties at PR News, Seth reviews TV shows for Cable Facts Daily each Friday. He also reviews recordings for the International Trumpet Guilds Quarterly. He is a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Brandeis University. He completed his graduate work in foreign affairs and international economics at Johns Hopkins, Paul H. Nitz's School of Advanced International Studies, where he studied both in Bologna, Italy, and Washington, D.C. Seth helped create the Eclipse Chapter Orchestra and served on its initial board. In addition, he is on the board of the Washington, D.C. chapter of the National Society of Arts and Letters and is an advisor to the Amadeus Concerts Board. Seth. Thanks again for being with me. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks for asking me. So maybe most importantly, do you have a TV show recommendation for everyone? <laughs> um, well, you know, um, if you're interested in money laundering, it's <laughs> a wild way of talking. Um, there are three kind of good shows. Ozark, if, if you've not seen it, it's really a very good one. And it deals with 
money laundering. And then there's a, a show that just ended on NBC called The Good Girls, also about money laundering, also about sort of normal people, not criminals, or at least they don't start out as criminals. Uh, they're housewives in this case. And they, money laund they do money laundering for some very bad people. The third one starts out with money laundering. It's a, it's a series that ended in 2018 called Startup. And uh, it also deals a lot with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency. Um, and it was started in 2016. So it, it's kind of way, it was way ahead of its time because as you know, the, the, the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency um, industries are just wild with, with news at this point. Um, so anyway, those are three that kind of a, a theme there. So for those that aren't familiar with PR News, what is the service? What are some of the ways that you all make money? Um, well, PR News is, it's funny. It's an umbrella. It's a, it's, this is a really good question because a lot of people think they know PR News and, and they know an aspect of it or an element of it, but they don't really know the whole um, kit and caboodle. PR News started as a newsletter more than 75 years ago by a, a woman named Denny Griswold, whose husband worked for Time Magazine. And he was a big publishing executive. And she was, I hate to say, just a housewife, but she was just a housewife. And she had this idea to, to write news about the PR industry. And she started this little newsletter out of her home in New York City. And our, the company I work for, Access Intelligence, purchased it, I guess, in the 80s from Denny and um, made it, kept it as a, as a, it was a weekly newsletter, actually, at the time. Now it's a monthly. Uh, but we also have a free site called prnewsonline.com. We also do a ton of events. We do a, a great deal of uh, awards. Um, and we do webinars. So, so while we still have the newsletter and that brings in revenue, uh, we also have events um, and webinars and awards. So those are you know uh, various revenue streams as most trade publishers have had to do at this point. There's something sort of meta about your job though, right? Because it's your job mm -hmm. is to capture the attention of people whose job it is to capture attention. Wow. What are, what are some of the content formats? You just mentioned uh, webinars and award shows. What are channels that have proven to be most successful for you in engaging with this audience who thinks all day long about how to engage with audiences? Yes, uh, that's again, that's a good question. Well, of course, like uh, since everybody's doing this, so we do it as well, but more strategically than, than just doing it uh, for its own sake. But we tweet, we have an Instagram uh, channel, we have a Facebook channel. Um, I guess our Twitter feed is, is the most... Uh, productive it's uh, we have a lot of we have a fair amount almost 200,000 followers on twitter which is pretty good for, again for a trade but we have the daily um posts on our site free um we also do a free i should mention we do a free like this a free video sort of periodically a couple of times a month with pr people we talk about uh trends and and specific uh events um, so we, we connect with people that way too. I want to talk a little bit about crisis comms. Okay. When we connected beforehand, you shared with me that a situation becomes a problem and a problem becomes a crisis. Yeah. 
How does a business know where they are across that spectrum? Because it seems like businesses are pretty good at treating a situation like a crisis and a crisis like a situation. Well, that's a really good question. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to mess up the, the, the quote, but basically, if you treat every situation like a crisis, it, you know, it, it can be a mess. On the other hand, if you treat a crisis, which let's say, you know, for, for argument's sake, let's say the lowest level issue is, is sort of a problem. And then, you know, maybe you, you graduate to a situation and then maybe you graduate to a crisis. As I said, if you treat every, you know, low level problem or situation like a crisis, you're going to be running around like a chicken with your head cut off, obviously. On the other hand, if you downplay a situation, it could turn into a crisis. So there's, there's really no e easy answer. I mean, you know, it, it's it's a feel thing. It's it's a um, it's an art and a science. I mean, you could in your crisis communications plan say, okay, you could be very very specific. You could say, look, if we get again for argument's sake, a thousand Twitter conversations about what's going on with us, a thousand Twitter conversations every hour. And most of them are against us. We might have a crisis. Now, there's there are better definitions for crisis. I mean, there are some. You know, you could, and I've seen this. You could have in your crisis plan two or three sentences saying, "This is a crisis." Well, what is this? This is um, does the situation, um, you know, mean that we financially might have a big problem? Could we go out of business? Is it, is it an existential thing? Uh, so there are various things that you can put in specifically into your crisis communications plan and know in advance, well, if it hits this mark, this mark, and this mark, we have a crisis. Now, the other thing is, of course, is what do you do at that point? And also the other thing is, <laughs> when are you finished with a crisis? The corollary is, are you ever finished with a crisis? I mean, because one of the things about journalism and digital technology, if I look up a company, again, just XYZ company, I've never heard of them before. I mean, I've sort of heard of them, let's say, but I'm not very familiar with them. I, I click on, I, you know, Google them or I do some research about them. I find out five years ago they were involved in a huge crisis. Well, chances are, as a journalist, I might include that in my story. So with, with digital um, technology, uh, you know, the, the tale of crisis is, is a long one or can be a long one. Yeah, I think there's also an interesting implication around recruiting. Yes. Right? Because oh, if, yeah. you have a, if you have a situation or a sure. problem... Mm -hmm. It's maybe not a crisis, but if that becomes your reputation and I am top talent and I go to your glass store page and I see that you have like all these anonymous things about the culture, you're not going to get top talent. That becomes a crisis in its own way, right? Even if it doesn't Absolutely. directly impact your, your bottom line, it does have long tail impact. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent correct, Brian. I mean, that, that is another element of crisis. It's a, is it a financial situation? Is it a reputation um, crisis for us? Could it could it hurt our reputation? And of course, reputation goes to recruiting. So yeah, I mean, there are a lot of different things that that it can touch. On the other hand, you know, 
I do not subscribe to the theory that you, you want a crisis to show how well you can manage it. But if you get into a crisis, you can manage it well, and, and it can enhance your reputation to a certain extent. What's the difference between an internal crisis and an external crisis? And how might that inform strategies and tactics? Because there are companies that handle an external crisis quite well, but it's sort of the fire still burns internally. Well, a couple of things there. Um, some people would say before I even answer this, they say there is no such thing as an internal versus an external crisis, because as one of my friends uh, said to me more than once, anything, this is a communicator at a very, very famous company, an iconic company, anything I write for internal communications, I have to assume is going to go out on the internet or be in the New York Times tomorrow or somewhere else. So the, the, the line between internal and external has blurred to a tremendous extent. Having said that, when you have a crisis that doesn't necessarily um, touch internal operations, it doesn't necessarily touch your employees, are you obligated to let them know about this? Probably a good idea. I mean, and this is something that is, is forgotten or, or gets falls through the cracks, let's say, in crisis a lot. Um, companies forget that, gee, you know, their ambassadors, some of their ambassadors are employees. Some people argue they're the most important ambassadors. So it's important to inform them, keep them, you know, communicate with them internally about what's going on with this crisis. So, so let's say uh, an internal crisis is, um, you know, executive A is uh, fired or let go uh, unceremoniously. <laughs> and it turns out that there was sexual harassment, let's say. You should communicate that to your internal employees. Of course, people would say, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to let it get out bigger than it is? Why do we want to make more out of it than, well, again, that's a decent point. But then you have to hope that a few weeks, months, years later, some reporter doesn't scurry around and, and dig in and find out, oh, gee, Executive A, he was, he was let go back in 2021 because of sexual harassment. I can write a good story about that. So there your internal crisis has become an external one, or your internal situation, I'm not sure I would call it a crisis, has become an external situation. So, and, and we've seen things like that all, we see things like that all the time. Are, are there some best practices that you've uncovered on how to best do this type of stuff? Because I think we've all been on the receiving end of one of these cryptic emails from HR saying so-and-so is no longer with the company and it, it just seems to foster more gossip. Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> think about a media company. Uh, when a media company's employees get something like that, you got a whole bunch of reporters there. They're not going to take that sitting down. They're going to dig. They're going to find out. Um, so yeah, that you know, not a great thing. Of course, with with harassment, you know, you have to protect. Um, there are certain people you want to protect. You want to protect the victims. So it, it's very delicate. It's got to be handled delicate. That's an obvious point. That obviously, I'm making. Uh, the, probably the biggest thing is um, when a company is hit with an issue, let's not call it a crisis, let's call it an issue or a problem. 
the tendency is for people to say, ah, it'll never get out. It'll never grow to be anything important. And let's um, just um, put it off to the side. It's not, nothing's gonna happen. Well, that's a really, really kind of a risky uh, option for you. The thing that most, I would say, most crisis communication specialists would say is, look at the problem, deal with it head on. Maybe you go out externally to your, st your external stakeholders. Maybe it's an internal statement that you make. Maybe it's nothing that you broadcast, but you, you know, handle it with one-on-one -on -one conversations, which can be very, obviously very difficult conversations in the case of, let's say, harassment or a diversity issue, or let's say, let's say embezzlement or something like this. Um, so the point is act, act and, and handle it. Um, yeah, you can still make a mistake there. And it doesn't always work. I mean, look, it doesn't always work. I'll give you an example. Of, uh, a friend of mine came to me and said, look, uh, I've done something wrong. I made a mistake five years ago. I made a mistake. Okay, my friend admitted that. I'm running for office. Um, should I try to correct that mistake? Should I publicly admit I'd made that mistake and, I, and you know, apologize for it? My answer was yes, because that's going to come and bite you. What happened was it did come and bite the person, but it, the bite wasn't that bad. But it was certainly something that was taken up by the, the, the person's opponents, and uh, it was out there. So I'll get you out on this question. For companies, businesses, or maybe even individuals that uh, are interested in addressing the crisis and not just you know putting it on the back burner and hoping that it doesn't get out. In your experience, who are the stakeholders that need to be engaged during a crisis? What's the best practice around the who, what, where, when of addressing this issue? Well, that's, again, a good question. Uh, and as I said earlier, internal uh, stakeholders like your employees are often forgotten about or, or fall through the cracks. So, you know, external set your shareholders, if you're a public company, obviously. The media, although, you know, I could get a lot of argument on that. A lot of people say, oh, the media is not really your stakeholder. Take care of your shareholders, your board, your employees, your customers first. The media that you shouldn't really uh, deal with a crisis in terms of the media. I'm not sure I agree with that, but, but that is an argument out there. Um, I, I think a lot of your questions, Brian, are let's say they're $64,000 questions. And, and it sounds maybe like I'm saying either or on so many things here. But again, I, I feel that crisis is, a, is an art and a science. You, you prepare in advance, you have a um, communication plan, you exercise it, you, you have exercises, you have tabletop, you have scenarios regularly, you get together regularly to update that crisis plan. Can you anticipate every crisis that's going to hit you? No way. Of course not. But you have some planning. You have some muscle memory. I know when the bell rings what I'm supposed to do 99% of the time, let's say. And that'll help you because you don't want to, be, again, this is a big cliche, but I'll repeat it. You don't want to be formulating a crisis plan during a crisis. It's not a good idea. I'm joined today by Seth Aronstein. Seth, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. I appreciate it. Yeah, Brian, my pleasure.